Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. They want to hurt you. They want to go after like that Achilles heel, that heartstring, that thing that they know is going to hurt you the most. So they say things like that. I never loved you. They did love you in their way. And you just have to take and be grateful for the time that you had together and be grateful for the laughter and the, the good times and and take the lessons that you had for the time that you had together. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. So I have heard these gaslighting phrases that I'm going to share with you. I want the reason why I want you to hear them is because I want you to be able to recognize them so you can actually step back as almost like a third party observer and go, okay, I see what's going on here and actually start to be able to not take these things personally. That way, when you go to negotiate with them, you're actually in a much stronger position. It will help you to heal. You can actually start to to be in that place of getting on the path of creating a life of intention, a life of where you're in creation and not just survival. And that is so important because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you are in survival mode all the time and that defensive mode all the time and in that cognitive dissonance all the time where your your brain just feels like it's so scrambled. But the good news is that you can start to heal, your brain can start to heal. And, and what happens is You've been love bombed and devalued and love bombed and devalued back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When that devalue phase starts, that's when you start to see the birth of that smear campaign. And the first thing they're going to start to do, especially when you try to leave them, is they're going to start to try to suck you back in, try to pull you back in because they don't want to see that supply going out the door. And so they're going to try to guilt trip you. They're going to get meaner. They're going to get all of those things right away, even if they have been the worst to you. And you're thinking, well, you kind of hate me, right? Because they sort of act like that. You've been thinking, you don't even like me. They've been treating you that way the whole time. I mean, you almost feel like it's going to be a relief to them to be gone, but they still have been getting supply from you in some way. They still want you there. So they're going to try to suck you back in. You've got to resist that because that's your soul talking to you. Your soul is saying, I got to get out of this thing. So I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to resist those those guilt trips and the 
all the things that they're going to try to do to suck you back into that web of toxicity because your freedom and your your health needs that in order to get whole again. I've been where you are. And as long as you're still in that web of toxicity, you cannot heal. You got to start turning it around and it doesn't happen overnight. Don't beat yourself up for any kind of decisions that you made when you were in that survival mode. Don't feel guilty. Don't allow them to to put that on you. So step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. That's what I say. It just it doesn't happen overnight. So one of the things they say, I'm going to just go into these six phrases now, is I'm the honest one and everyone knows it. No one's going to believe you because you're the liar, right? So they try to make it seem like everyone's going to believe their lies. And and that's the first thing that you're going to now start to worry about is that everyone's going to believe their lies and no one's going to believe you. And that's what they're going to try to get you to think. I just said to you in the discard phase, that's when you see the birth of that smear campaign. And so what I want you to do right now is go download my free phrases for disarming narcissists. And you can get that at disarmthenarc.com. Disarmthenarc.com. Free phrases for disarming narcissists. It will help you so much when you're dealing with this kind of craziness. Because they're going to say, I'm the one that's honest. No one's going to believe you. Basically, everyone's going to believe my lies. You've just got to have something to say back, some kind of way to arm yourself. And that's what I want you to have, right? Don't believe that craziness. Just Close your ears, close your eyes, pretend like you've got a little bubble around you because that's not true. So that's number one. Number two is you made me like this. I was never like this. You did this to me. I don't like all this craziness. I don't like to be live this life of drama. You made me crazy. You made me like this. All this happens because of you. If it weren't for you, I'd be calm. When things go flying off and you guys end up having big fights and all that sort of thing, they blame it on you. Again, that's so not true. Most of the time, they're the ones that pick the fights, right? I mean, you're like nice, normal, calm, living your life. And then they go and they pick fights and they do things. And then they turn around and they blame it on you. Be you know, like Teflon, you know, like Teflon Tony or, or Teflon Tennille or whatever, you know, come up with a name for yourself. That's you. Water off a duck's back. You know, like water, like just kind of like rolls off a duck's back. That's you. That's number two. Number three, I never did any of those things. So when you try to bring up that they were abusive to you, that they cheated on you, they were mean to you, all the things that they might have done to you, how horrible they might have been to you, never happened. They'll just flat out deny it, complete gaslighting. You're a liar. Actually, you were the one. You were abusive to me. You cheated, even if you didn't. 
They'll say that you emotionally cheated or something. They will literally gaslight you into believing that you were the one who did all of those things. I'm going to tell you right now, give up, forget about. I always say like the, the Fs, forget about getting narcissists to acknowledge you. Forget about getting them to admit their sins. It's not going to happen. And in fact, it gets worse when you try to get them to do those things. So they're not going to say that they did those things. And and in fact, they're going to now start accusing you of it. So don't say you cheated on me or you abused me or all of those things. They, They get more and more agitated. They have a deep sense of shame. Narcissists feel more shame and more self-hatred inside than anyone else. And so if you try to bring those things up, it really, really does trigger that narcissistic injury, that limbic system takes over in their brain and that narcissistic injury comes flying out and and that survival mechanism takes over and it takes over right at you. It's like a caged animal almost. They just want to come right after you. It's really a very, very strong defense mechanism. And so they'll just come right after you. It's a survival mechanism. You don't want to force that. It doesn't help you. And it certainly won't help you when it comes time to negotiating down the road. The next one is, especially during this discard phase, especially when they know after they've tried love bombing you and hoovering you and they've tried all the things, you know, come on, I'll take you back. Let's try you know, the guilt trips, they've gotten meaner, you know, they've tried all of the things and none of it worked. When they realize it's actually over and you're actually leaving, then they're going to start to realize, okay, you're the enemy. Because with the narcissist, you're either for them or against them. And if you're against them, then you become public enemy number one. Things with narcissists are very black and white, very black and white. It's called splitting. You're either this or that. There's nothing in between. And so now I have to take you down and you'll have nothing. I'm taking you down. And they feel like that because they want to take you down before you can take them down. I'm going to take you down. You will have nothing. I've heard narcissists say things like, you're going to live on the streets. I, You'll have n- no pennies to your name. I mean, they will say things like that. I'll make sure I take all the money. You'll have nothing. If you know anything about marital law or whatever, it's, it's just a bunch of crap. You've got to close your ears. You've got to close your eyes. You don't panic when they say those things. They say these things to scare you, to threaten you, to make you feel hurt and to control you because they're hurt. And so you've got to just stay calm. Don't let your emotions take over. I know it's super hard, but you totally have to do that. And you can, you can do hard things. Such a great mantra, Glennon Doyle. I can do hard things. And once you get through doing hard things, you become such a stronger person. And it is through doing hard things that makes you such a stronger person and makes you realize that you are the better version of yourself. 
And once you face those fears, that is what makes you braver. And that is what makes you a more courageous person. And you got this, right? So we've got four down. We've got two to go. So the next one is, I never loved you. Uh, so painful when they say things like that. You know, they they want to hurt you. They want to go after like that Achilles heel, that heartstring, that thing that they know is going to hurt you the most. So they say things like that. I never loved you. They did love you in their way. And you just have to take and be grateful for the time that you had together and be grateful for the laughter and the, the good times and and take the lessons that you had for the time that you had together and, and enjoy those moments and enjoy the, the memories of that. Don't dwell on the things that they're going to say that they need to say in order to cause you pain because they're going to do that and be okay with the things that they're going to say to cause you pain and understand that that's what they're doing. And the same thing for number six. Number six is, I can do much better than you. They're driven by narcissistic supply. They need to feed that ego. They need to feed that feeling of empty space that they have inside of them. They don't feel whole inside. They feel a an H-O-L-E. They don't feel W-H-O-L-E. And that H-O-L-E is black. It's a never-ending space. It's a it's a it's like a sieve that they have to constantly find something to put inside there. And if you keep trying to fill it, you're just gonna feel completely depleted and your soul will be empty forever and sucked dry. So you just have to look at them and feel compassion and send them love and light from afar and understand that that is what's going on. So now let's talk about the narcissist's top 10 favorite threats. They are so silly, so silly with their little threats that they throw around. You know why I know that they're silly? Because Every time I would have somebody come into my office as an attorney and people would be scared to death and go, oh my God, they threatened this, they threatened that. I'd be going, oh, you know what? That is just a bunch of crap. Just telling you that right now. But number one is they're going to divorce you or leave you. A lot of times, first of all, let them go. They're doing you a favor if they do that. But a lot of times they do that they don't want to do that because their fear is of abandonment. They, they're they like, push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. That's what they do. They push you all the way to the brink and then they pull you back because their biggest fear is of abandonment. Do you know that? They don't actually want that, but you know, they, they constantly are threatening that. All right. So that's number one. Number two is threatening to cheat on you. Isn't that lovely? You know, I'll go get my whatever from somewhere else because they want you to constantly be on edge. I'll go get my sex from somewhere else. I'll go get my love from somewhere else. Everybody else loves me better. Everybody else thinks I'm amazing. Everybody else thinks that I'm full of more beautiful or whatever. I'll get my attention from somewhere else. Even if they don't actually say it, They um, imply it a lot of times, you know, because they want you to be on edge. They want you to feel like you're always at the brink. I'll get my validation from somewhere else. They want you to feel like you better be on your best game. They want you to feel insecure. So they want you to feel threatened. 
at all times feel threatened, even if they don't actually say it, they want you to feel it. Number three is not nice. Number three is really not nice. Number three is they'll threaten to kill themselves or hurt themselves. And they they do this, especially a lot of times, like if you say you're going to leave them or after you leave them, they put the, the, the little DMs because they want you to feel guilty, not nice. You know, especially if they've been extremely emotionally abusive, this is a way to pull you back in, suck you back into that vortex of hell. It's not good. Number four is to is threaten to air out your dirty laundry, especially, you know, your vulnerabilities, your things that you've said to them, that you've trusted them with, your heart to other people, that you're they're going to tell people things that they shouldn't share. You know, and that's what they do. You know, they get you to share things early on in the love bombing part of the relationship. And then they go and tell people things where they threaten to. The next one is threatening to make your life a living hell. And, you know, the discard phase. You can't escape me. I'm going to make your life a living hell. I've heard this before. I've heard uh, you're going to live on the street. You're going to have no money. You're going to be... Begging on the street. This is all a bunch of crap, especially, you know, if they owe you alimony and things like that. If there's money in the case, you know, they're not going to be able to do that. I had a case one time where the husband would say things like that. And, you know, it's not, it's not true. Threatening to stalk you, harm you. By the way, if that's the case, you need to call the police. Get the help and protection that you need. You know, make sure that you take care of yourself. I I do also have phrases for disarming narcissists, which you can get at disarmthenarc.com. 15 key phrases for disarming narcissists. Disarmthenarc.com. And we do have a free private Facebook group, Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung, which you can get access to. And if you need therapy and you don't have access to it, betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung is a place that you can go to get therapy. It's a partner that we have. You know, We receive commissions. It doesn't cost you any extra. We just want you to have access to help and support that's trusted. So betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bestlife to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bestlife.
Number seven is threatening to never speak to you again. How is that a threat? You go, yeah, okay. How do, how do I make sure this happens for sure? That's what you say. Okay, that that's what you should be saying. Number eight is threatening to turn people against you. Like that smear campaign, which I have a video on how to shut down a narcissist smear campaign, which you should definitely check out. Number nine, threatening to call the police. You know, this is an interesting one because a lot of times they threaten to call the police when they're the ones who need the, the police called on them. And I've actually seen this before where they did, they were the ones that needed the police called on them and then they did call the police. So be very careful about that. And number 10, this is the one, this is the one where, you know, everybody's always scared about this, threatening to take your kids away because they know that's your Achilles heel. They know that's the one thing you definitely don't want. And let me tell you, it is more than likely never going to happen. People who've been the worst don't have their kids taken away from them. And you guys know that that's true. Courts don't want to take kids away from their parents. They're not going to take your kids away from you, more than likely. I mean, you've got, you'd have to be pretty darn bad to, for, for courts to, you know, completely remove parental rights from a parent. But, you know, they say these things. They say, you know, you're never going to have your kids again. You're going to lose your house. You're you're not going to have any money. You're going to be out on the street. Or, you know, if it's a business situation, you know, you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your business, rather. You're going to lose all of these things. Just remember that whatever your rights are under the law, you're going to continue to have your rights under the law. You can't take those things away. And just they are very fear-based individuals. They don't have true power. When your power is based on fear, scarcity, that's not true power. That's why being an empath, you know, somebody who has authentic power is so much more powerful. So why doesn't the narcissist believe that you will ever leave? Well, because they started conditioning you right from the beginning when they started love bombing you. They love bombed you, they came on super strong, they were very charming and charismatic and personable. And they swept you off your feet. I'm talking about whether it was a business relationship or a personal relationship. I actually found myself in a business relationship with a narcissist, a covert passive aggressive narcissist who love bombed me into being in a business partnership and this was after I had become a very successful attorney and everything else. And I ended up into this relationship with this person. So, you know, you end up in the, these relationships and you think, how in the hell did I get here? And you end up thinking, oh my gosh, you know, am I going crazy? And, and you feel paranoid and powerless. And they, they still, in their delusional mind, even though they're horrible and heinous to you, and, and they act aggressive or passive aggressive, and they treat you awful, for whatever reason, they don't think you'll leave. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you don't for a long time, many times. They see that they've gotten away with things. That's how they see that you are a good source of supply from the beginning. Once you're locked in, because 
you know, they get you to that point of locking you in very quickly. And that's what happens with narcissists most of the time. You know, whether it's a business relationship or a personal relationship, they want to get to that next level as quickly as possible, move in together, sign contracts, you know, be in partnership, get married, you know, whatever it is, let's let's get to that next step as quickly as possible to lock you in. And then you're locked in. And then once they do lock you in, then they start getting cold. You know, it's hot and cold, hot and cold. And they start to ghost you or they start to not do things that they're supposed to do. You start to see those red flags and you start to question things. And now all of the sudden it's your fault. You're the problem. We talked about that and you agreed. What? We never talked about that. And now you start to see that they're maybe doing things behind your back and things aren't adding up and you're starting to question things and you ask them about things and now they're projecting, they're deflecting, you're catching them in lies and all of these things start to happen, yet you stay in the relationship even though you're seeing these things happen. They know that you've continued to stay even though these things are happening. And even though you maybe threaten to leave, you know, sometimes maybe even you do leave or whatever, but you come back and then they future fake you. Oh, things are going to be so much better. You'll see. And, and you go, okay. And you listen to it, or they might apologize and you say, okay. And by the way, I have a whole video on, you know, what does a narcissist mean when they apologize, which you should definitely check that out. You know, it's like they're they're faux apologies. And then you listen to these apologies and you say, okay, and you stay through that. You know, so then they assume after a while that they have you that you're going to listen to it, that they have this control over you, almost like a Svengali or something, that you will continue to listen to them, to be controlled by them, that at some point, even though you'll get mad, that you'll be unhappy, that they can yo-yo their way back into their web, back into their lair, getting you to believe them again. Or that they can guilt you there or harass you there or scare you there or control you there or whatever it is that they need to do to scoop you back in to their web of control because they've been able to do it before. So they just assume that they're going to be able to do it again. And that's why they don't believe that you'll ever leave because they've been able to keep you into that web of control thus far. Because you are strong 
And I've said this many, many times before. I'm gonna, it's definitely worth repeating. The narcissist is definitely way more afraid of you than you are of them. You are the stronger one. They did not attach themselves to you because you had so little value. They attached themselves to you because you have so much. That's why they need you. They need you way more than you need them. They've made you believe that otherwise, that's the big trick. That's the big paradox. That's the funny thing about it. That's the irony about it. They don't want you to ever figure that out. But that's the truth of it. Okay. They think if they're if they have a big enough tantrum that you know you're you're gonna give in. But you know, at some point you can look at them having that tantrum and say, mm, you know what? I'm not moved your tantrum anymore. And I want my life back. So no thanks. And you can't use my emotions to control me anymore. And I'm done with this. I'm done. And that's what ended up happening with me in my business relationship. And that's what ends up happening with everybody in these relationships. And that's what's going to end up happening with you too. And it's time for you to take your life back and be done with this web of toxicity now. Are you dealing with a narcissist and they've actually discarded you or you've discarded them and they're still completely obsessed with you? And you wanna know why in the heck that is? Before I can give you the exact why, I think it's really important that you understand the psyche of a narcissist. So a narcissist has no inner sense of value. They have to derive all of their value from the external. So they're constantly grasping on to whatever they can to get that source of, of supply what we call narcissistic supply. And narcissistic supply is anything that feeds a narcissist's ego, anything that feeds their ego. It could be bad, it could be good, it could be neutral, but as long as it's feeding their ego, then they're grasping onto it. It's seriously like a predator with its prey. Like they need to have that food. They're gonna grasp onto it wherever it is and they're going to hurt people anybody who's going to um, threaten that source, okay? So just think of it like a really super hungry uh, animal that's out in the wild and they finally see a food source and they're gonna grasp onto that. And if somebody comes along and tries to threaten that source, they're gonna reach out and, and try to kill them or hurt them in some way because they have to have that, that food. And that's what's going on with the narcissist. They live on it, they feed on it. It's their food, it's their oxygen. And, and it can come in the form of many different versions. I mean, the whole fact that they have no boundaries and that they beef up their you know, egos and, and by saying how great they are and all of that, that's all a form of narcissism. But remember, we all on some level want to feel seen, heard, and know that we matter. So it's a continuum. I mean, all human beings have to feel some sort of value and we all want to have other people notice our value as well. That's just part of being human. What differentiates a narcissist from everybody else wanting to know that they value, that they're valued is 
that they have no sense of feeling or empathy or care or love for another human being. They just can't do it because they feel that if they do, it takes away from them. And that means you're taking away that food source, that oxygen source, their their lifeblood, really. And they don't see, they don't understand it. They certainly have never processed it. It's totally subconscious, but that's what's going on. And so they attach themselves to people just the same as like pods do or leeches do, like because they need to attach themselves to people for food source. They never attach themselves to people in order to give to them in some way. It just doesn't even... They don't process the world that way. It's only what can this person or this situation do for me. And so when you're dealing with a narcissist, you've been dealing with three different phases of the relationship, which are the love bomb to value and discard. And if you want more information about those three phases of the relationship, definitely check out my videos on love bomb to value and discard. During these three phases of the the relationship, they can be love bombing you while they're devaluing you and love bombing while they're discarding. They really go back and forth between the phases. And yes, it starts with love bomb and it ends with discard, but it, everything's happening sort of all at once in that middle uh, stage. I had um, one of you guys actually commented on my videos. It's like, t- it's love bomb in the beginning. Uh, discard at the end and toxic stew in between, and that was a really great way of putting it. So, you know, while you're in the middle of the discard phase, you're still going to be getting love bombed and getting back, going back and forth um, between love bomb and discard, which is sometimes called hoovering, because that supply source is being threatened and they don't want that supply source to go away. So even if they don't want you anymore and they're telling you, I don't want you anymore and and they're rejecting you and they're telling you that you're a piece of crap and that you're a speck of dust on the planet and nothing matters about you, well, they obviously must think that there's still some amount of supply they can get out of you if they're still coming back to try to get more and trying to squeeze more out of you. So... That's what's actually happening and why they're still obsessed with you. So if they feel like there's some way that they can still control you, or if they if if you can they can upset you or jerk you around in some way or get you all riled up about something, then that they get supply from that, so they're gonna come back and do that. Even if they like block you on something, well, they do that because they want to get a rise out of you. They want to they want you to go, "Oh my god, why did you block me?" or go back to other people and say, "Why did this person block me?" and they, "Oh, they found out now that you're upset about that." So, the best thing that you can do to get them to stop being so obsessed with you is to just completely go no contact with them and not give them any attention or any information whatsoever and just react to them like by by just blocking them yourself and moving on and acting as if 
they just never existed in your life. Literally, like you're wiping out that part of your CPU, like that person never existed in your life. That's the only way that they will finally and eventually stop being obsessed with you because they'll finally have to move on and find a different source of supply. They can't be rehabilitated. It's not like they're going to change. They're going to come back in the form of, you know, drunk text texting you or um, saying that they're sorry or, you know, hoover you in some way by saying, you know, why aren't you responding to me and try to get you sucked back into their weird vortex of craziness. But you, you, you can't take that bait because if you do that, then that obsession with you will continue to just go on and on and on and on and on. So to summarize, the reason why the narcissist is still so obsessed over you is because they still think that there's some shred of supply that they can get out of you. Whether it's upsetting you, jerking you around, devaluing you, degrading you, getting you to pay attention to them in some way, controlling you in some way, whatever that is, that's why they're still obsessed with you. There's some version of supply that they still think that they can get from you and until there's no more supply to be gotten from you. They're gonna to continue to be obsessed with you. Even if it seems like they've moved on to their new supply, if they can still get supply from the new one and the old one, even better for them. Because remember, they need an endless amount. It's like this black hole that can never be fed, right? It can never be satiated. So. As long as they still think there's some kind of supply they can get out of you, they're gonna continue to be obsessed over you. So talk about your your role as an empath and how that actually made you more of a target for narcissists. Because I think it's really important that people understand that. Well, I think there's a lot of factors that make us targets and, and being an empath is one, being someone that has no boundaries. So in my recovery, I had to learn my own accountability. After I learned about them and the behaviors and the stages and all of the stuff that goes into what a narcissist does, I had to then go, why me? Right. And that was, yes, I'm an empath. Yes, I'm a people pleaser. I will do anything for anyone. I don't care. I will move your house next weekend if you need me to. Um, and so a giving, caring person. But there's other things like the boundaries. I realized I was raised by a narcissistic mother in the end of this whole journey. And that's why I didn't learn boundaries. So when a narcissist is looking for someone, the empath part is a big part because they can get away with more, but someone that has loose boundaries. So they've tested you all along to see if you'd be a good person that would do their beck and call. So no boundaries is a thing. Being a people pleaser is another thing. Um, your own childhood. They look for what you're looking for. Because I had kind of a, a crappy family, if you would, I wanted someone with a really good family. They seemed so upstanding. They went on vacations together. And so I became attracted to that. So they dangled the carrot of, oh, we've got a good family. Come to our house. You know, We'll be your family. And so they're looking for whatever you're looking for. Your vulnerabilities are, are 
have to be explored. And, and I have a course that is how to change the story and how to learn what your vulnerabilities are so that you don't give that information to the next person in your life. And we'll make sure to drop a link to um, that course in our our notes as well, so that people can find that if they if they want that. But you know, I think that's so true, and um, and and I have seen that too. And the other thing is that I've noticed because one of the covert narcissists in, in my life is a family member, and um, I went to dinner with one of my dearest friends, who's a licensed clinical psychologist and a PhD and brilliant. And, you know, and um, I was saying that my husband was feeling guilty about, you know, putting up boundaries. And, um, and my, my friend said that guilt was actually instilled by this person that, that, that his sense of what's right and what's wrong is actually from that person. And so, you know, he feels bad about putting up boundaries because that's what this person wanted him to feel. And so that was a huge aha moment for us. Um, and, you know, and, and through his own work and whatever, he's decided to have more boundaries with this person. And, and it's been better for both of us um, in the long run. Um, but, you know, it, it's, you, you, you feel guilty, but remember that a lot of what you're feeling is what they've conditioned you to feel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, when I have, I have a, a, um, a book on narcissistic in-laws in, in, in uh, up on Amazon and, and I think the audible just got approved. So hopefully that'll get out there. Uh, that That's on my website as well. I have it featured as my narcissist resources. Good. Yay. But, but it, it's, it's, if you have a narcissistic parent, so, and I'll use the example of my husband having a narcissistic parent, he, he's controlled by that person. And either they have the strength to stand up to their parents so that they can protect the spouse, or they are so controlled, say by money in my case, that they've got to listen to the holy grail of the parent. So you've got these different levels of where your spouse, if you've got a narcissistic in-law, could be where they're sort of looking at it and going, well, my husband can't even battle with his mom. He's not strong enough because he's been emotionally manipulated his whole life. That's how it was for us. They manipulated him into this divorce and and, and ran the show. And so for me... That was such an important part out there because people think, oh God, what am I going to do about this narcissistic in-law? And and I'm using my case as an example, but it comes down to your spouse being able to stand up to them, right? If your spouse can't stand up to them, then you're in big trouble. And so when we decide to marry, we have to look at the whole family with a different lens these days. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times you don't even realize the person is a narcissist, especially if they're a covert narcissist, because they're so good at hiding. Like the rest of the world thinks this person is wonderful, uh, and and you know they're and they pr- purposely put themselves in positions where everyone thinks they're wonderful. I mean, they're oftentimes clergy or doctors or, you know, in places. Doctors, yeah. Yeah, politicians, um, where they only show their bad side to their target. Um, No one else sees it. 
Um, and, and, and even with their target, you know, they're constantly gaslighting. Well, I thought we had that conversation. You agreed to that. And it's something completely different than what you agreed to. Or, um, you know, it, it, I, I agree. I, I told you that I would, um, you know, take care of the bills. And, you know, somebody's saying, I thought you were going to put the money in the bank account. I told you I would take care of it. And three days later, you're like, the money's still not in the bank account. Well, I told you I would take care of it. I meant I would take care of the bills. Well, you know, and they're constantly changing it. Well, then they haven't even paid the bills yet. I mean, and and so I'm kind of getting a little bit into tricks people play in divorce. And I know you're writing a book on that. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Um, also. So, so I don't want to steal your thunder on that. So talk about that a little bit. Sure, sure. So I am writing a book. Um, we're hoping it'll be out by June. It is called uh, You Can't Make This Shit Up. Um, then there's a whole subtitle about narcissists and, and how to be a survivor through it. Um, but I've, I've actually sourced not only hundreds of tricks that people from my website submitted from my Facebook group and, and from my support groups that I run have submitted and gone, this is what they've done. And and taking that same trick and going, well, here's how you could have gotten help yourself on that. They turned off all the electricity in your house because it was in their name. As soon as they move out, put it in your name, protect yourself, you know, things, there, there are things that we can do to protect some of these things. Um, but the idea is that they have been planning this in their mind for a very long time. So even before a, a mention of divorce has happened, they're usually hiding money. They're, they're usually, um, you know, controlling the accounts and they started the smear campaigns. They are trying to isolate you by slowly dripping conversations to your friends. And, you know, there's, there's a few that are really common, like she's an alcoholic, she's a bipolar person, you know, him, her, whatever it is, but they've been slipping that to your friends for a long time with concern, not in, in you know, and oh gosh, Tracy had so many drinks at the party last week. She's doing that so much more often. I'm really worried about her. That's just a planting of a seed before anything happens. Now, when the, they decide to have the divorce, all of a sudden you're a full-blown alcoholic and look, I've got proof. Didn't I not tell you about that three months ago? So a lot of it has been seeded before the whole event happens. But, um, you know, the whole, I, I've had people with fake filing where they've gotten legal papers from their husband and, oh my God, he just filed for divorce on me. And 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 it was a fake document. And the, the, the game and the trick with that was to simply convince her that they could use the same lawyer. You don't need your own lawyer. But look, I've already filed. So, you know, why file? I did it. We're good. Yeah, that's a huge one. And I can tell you as a lawyer, the lawyers can't represent both of you. They can only represent one of you. Oh, see, and that's and that's that's part of the game. At least they try it, right? <clears throat> they, they throw it out there to take you off from from getting a lawyer. Um Hold back men, you know, hold, hold back the money so that you aren't able to hire the lawyer. So many people get stuck in that rut. And um, I know a lot of people end up having to take it out of, say, a 401k to be able to start the divorce process. And um, when you've got no assets and you're stuck, that's how they control you. They think, oh, I've got her money. She can't do it. And and you end up with the raw end of the deal. But um, there's so many tricks they can do both before, during court, and continuing for many, many years after. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash negotiate. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. I can't tell you how many times, hundreds of times a day, I get emails from people that, you know, they're like, you know what? I just pulled out your phrases for shutting down narcissists. I picked one and I emailed it back and it totally worked. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I want people to understand that, yes, it's that, but don't just give up on that. Don't just say that's what it's, it, it is and be resigned to that. Remind the court, remind the judge, remind everybody you can that the, the standard is best interest of the child. And there is, I'm, I'm sure, a statute in every single state that has, you know, the factors that have to be considered by the court. So don't just like resign yourself to that's what it's going to be. And now we return to today's show. Also going to give you eight key phrases to help you shut down those narcissists before they absolutely drive you crazy. All right, so let's get started. The first thing is that you you want to understand that they want you you want to kind of take yourself out of this situation so the more you can kind of start looking at it almost like their toddlers having a tantrum on the floor the better it's going to be for you 
because what they're they're trying to do is drag you into that quicksand with them, drag you into that mud with them. And there's a number of reasons that they do that. One is that they get something called narcissistic supply by dragging you into that mud with them. And and that feeds them, that feeds their ego, it feeds their their inner empty self by doing that. It's kind of like their, I call it their food, their lifeblood, their oxygen. And and they that's what they need. You know, it's that it's that inner emptiness that they feel. And and by doing that, you know, you're kind of feeding that. And that's why you end up feeling so empty yourself. You know, they call them energy vampires for a reason. And that's Part of the reason because you end up feeling like you're being sucked dry. I remember when I was dealing with a business partner who was a narcissist, before I even knew anything about narcissism, I used to think, my God, it's like a leech. I just feel like I'm being leached from leached. And I I, I didn't know any other language to use, but I just felt drained, drained, sucked dry, like the life was being drained out of me. And that's why you feel that. So you, you want to understand that you, you've got to figure out a way to create these boundaries to stop that that draining from you to stop that. So the way you've got to start is, you know, I call it step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn and step three, break free. You know, that step one is that first step. It's so important to start to look at things almost as a third party look at things almost as an observer. And and so that, you know, when you're when you're using these phrases, you almost have to take the emotion out of it, all right? So that's the first real step when you're using these phrases, okay? Look at it as if you're looking at a child having a tantrum. Look at, looking at the narcissist from an observer point of view and you stop having the emotional reaction. You can go afterwards and scream into your pillow, cry in the shower, talk to your therapist, whoever you need to, and have your emotional reaction afterward. But when you're with them, not have the emotional reaction there because that feeds them. That is what they're they are looking for. That is what they want. The next reason that you don't want to have these emotional reactions is because they will use these emotional reactions against you. You know, so not only are you feeding that need for supply, but you're also potentially going to hurt yourself because what they're trying to do is bait you. What they're trying to do is trigger you, manipulate you, you know, and get you to do something so that they can potentially use your emotional reaction against you. So, and especially if you're in the discard phase of a relationship with the narcissist, they want to be able to go, oh, look, there's the crazy one. There's the emotional one. There's the one that has the problem. And if and if you're in a court situation, it happens all the time. And I've seen it with my clients. I've seen it 
with in situations where on the stand, in situations that were extremely inconvenient, cross-examination, you know, trial, depositions, you know, where you don't want it to happen, right? And they're very, very good at that, where they look like they're the calm ones, the collected ones, the charming, charismatic ones. And then everybody else in the system thinks that they're the the normal ones, the non-narcissistic ones, the fine ones, the good ones. The other party is made to look like the emotional one, the one with the problem, because they bait you, they trigger you, they make you look like the crazy person. So you want to be very, very careful about not taking that bait and not allowing them to trigger you. Remember, everything you put your hand to is a potential trial exhibit. What you write, what you post on social media, how you respond to those text messages, to those emails, to those direct messages, what you say in conversations, what you say in front of people. Be very, very careful about those things. So that's why, you know, go to disarmthenarc.com and grab my key phrases for disarming narcissists. You definitely want to do that. These are some cautions that I have for you. And, and then the third reason why you want to be very careful about how you are responding and talking to a narcissist is because every single time you get baited, every single time you get dragged into the mud, that narcissist, as long as you're giving them supply, they're never, ever, ever going to leave you alone. They're never going to be gone because they're still getting that food. They're still getting that lifeblood. They're still getting that oxygen. So they're still going to come around. Three good reasons to use these key phrases for shutting down narcissists. Okay. So number one, you can say something like, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you feel that way. Now, be careful you don't say, I'm sorry, you know, or whatever, unless you are sorry, but you just say, I'm sorry you feel that way. I understand that that's what you think, you know, whatever, but I'm sorry that you feel that way. You're not saying anything really, you're just saying, I'm sorry that that's how you feel. It, it just basically kind of puts it back on them. That's how you feel. I get it. I'm sorry. That's how you feel. And it just lets them know that I heard what you said and I acknowledge that that's what you said. I'm sorry that that's what you feel. Okay. That's number one. Number two is I have no control over the way you feel. I have no control over what your thoughts are. Again, you're acknowledging what they said. You're acknowledging that you heard what they said about their thoughts. And you're just saying, I have no control over what you think. Not saying that you agree. You're basically saying you you don't agree, but that you just don't have any control over what they think, nor do you wish to. Um, okay? And you have no control over the way you feel about me 
or this situation or what they think about anything. So that's number two. Number three uh, is your anger is not my responsibility. You can also say your triggers are not my responsibility because a lot of times they are trying to say that they're angry at you or they might say, you trigger me, you make me angry, you know, all of those things. Their anger about things that you do or if you trigger them, it's not your responsibility. They have to be responsible for that. Just like if you are triggered about something, it's your responsibility to manage your anger, to manage your triggers, right? Each of us have to manage our own triggers, our own traumas, our own anger. That's our own responsibility to deal with, right? I mean, we have a choice about how we respond to situations and that's on us. And so that's on them. And so you can just put that back on them. Your anger is not my responsibility. That's number three. Number four. Number four is one of my favorites. I love this one. Number four is, I agree, that's your opinion. Because you know what? You're basically not agreeing with a thing. But they often hear you say, I agree. So you're saying, I agree. That's what you think. I agree that I heard you say that. You aren't agreeing with a thing. But, you know, I agree that's what you said. I agree. That's your opinion. You know, I mean, I understand that that's what you feel. You know, you can, you can say things like that, you know, that basically you're just acknowledging them, but you're not agreeing with the thing. You know, I hear you. I agree that that's what you feel. I understand, you know, things like that are all just acknowledging, but not really anything at all. Okay validating in some way. And that's really a lot of times all that people want. Number five is, I can see that you are. And you just insert the emotion. I can see that you are upset. I can see that you are angry. I can see that you are sad. You know, whatever it is, just articulate whatever the emotion is that you see them feeling. A lot of times what's crazy is that you'll say, I can see that you're angry. And they'll say, I'm not angry. Uh, How is it that you're feeling? Because they'll be raging. And you'll say, I can see that you are angry about this. I'm not angry. Or they'll be screaming, yelling. I can see that this is upsetting to you. I'm not upset, you know, because when you call them out on their behavior, they'll be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that. They don't want you to characterize their behavior in such a way. It's just kind of funny, but actually observe their behavior to them. That's number five. If you are so ready to slay, you 
all of this, slay your communication, slay your negotiations. It's that's, that's my what we do here. We slay strategy, leverage, anticipate, be two steps ahead of them and focus on you, your case, your position and slay everything with narcissists. Number six. Number six is another one that you can do. It's like, that's an interesting perspective. Hmm, that's an interesting perspective. Again, you're just kind of acknowledging. I can't tell you how many times, hundreds of times a day, I get emails from people that, you know, they're like, you know what? I just pulled out your phrases for shutting down narcissists. I picked one and I emailed it back and it totally worked. Or I have a few memorized and I just pulled pulled one out, you know, used it, totally worked. So totally suggest that you do this. Hmm, that's an interesting perspective. So that's number six. And number seven, here's where you're going to really start to create some boundaries. All right. If you want a narcissist respect, start feeling the power. They respect people who stand up to them, who have some confidence, right? Start to say things like, if you want to engage in a conversation with me, you're going to have to remain calm and not emotional. Or say something like, be factual, not emotional. You're going to have to speak to me in a way that's respectful. You know, there's certain things that are negotiable, contracts, issues, and terms. There's certain things that are not negotiable, and that's your self-respect. That's your self-worth. So don't allow them to speak to you in a way that's not respectful, okay? All right, so if you want to engage in a conversation with me, you're going to have to remain calm. You're going to have to speak to me in a way that's respectful. Just say something like that. Totally okay. And it's totally okay for you to go, okay, well, you know what? If you can't, then this conversation is over, period. And... Finally, the last one, you you know, if they say something that's just absolutely nuclear, not okay, you can just say, I'm choosing not to respond to that. And that's okay too. You know what? I'm choosing not to respond to that. Don't defend yourself, okay? When you defend yourself, you are giving credence to the other side. You're giving credence to their position. You make yourself look weaker, Never explain, justify, or overshare. Now, when it comes time to get a divorce, people will threaten. People will say things like, you know, you you can't ever divorce me because if you do, I'll make sure you never get a dime. I'll make sure you're out on the street. Uh, You know, you're never going to get anything from me. What and 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 so people are paralyzed. They're they're paranoid that they're never going to get anything, and and so they end up staying in abusive situations because of that. So yeah. uh, and and you know I know for me a lot of times as an attorney I'll say you know hey listen you know there are laws around that especially if you're the non moneyed spouse. You know, you can many times, if you go to a lawyer, there are protections from the in the law 
you know, where you can potentially get, you know, either fees, you can get support, you can get temporary support. But a lot of times people don't know that. Um, and so what would you say to people around that? So I, look, I think the first thing that, that people need to do is to seek out a trusted attorney. That's, that's the first thing. I mean, you should, you know, consult several attorneys, speak to other people who have gone through divorces, see who they recommend, look online and see what kind of reviews an attorney has, look at their LinkedIn, see what articles they've published, what's their point of view, all of those types of things. And then you need to understand that the law, particularly, I don't know about every state, but I do know it was certainly in New York, in New York, the non-moneyed spouse does have the protections that you're talking about, Rebecca. The non-moneyed spouse is going to likely be entitled to what is called pendente lite relief, right? And pendente lite relief in essence is temporary relief, temporary support to make sure that you can pay your reasonable expenses, temporary legal fees so that your attorney can get paid and so that you are essentially on that equal playing field. But you also need to start to pull some documents, right? So you need to, if you can, make sure that you can get hold of your tax returns, make sure that you have bank statements, credit card statements. You know, years ago, I had a client and I often talk about her because she was really quite intelligent. And what she did was she would essentially go through the garbage, believe it or not. And she would pull all these little bits and pieces of paper. And pretty soon she had what was the beginning of the puzzle, right? And we we did all of this discovery in her case, but most of the discovery came from her. So she would find this piece of paper that referred to some account that was offshore, and then we would do the digging. And I remember having her husband in a deposition and he had revealed zero. I mean, and I mean zero. His net worth statement, which is something that people fill out at the very beginning of a case in order to, for example, get pendente lite support, but also to create this roadmap, his net worth statement was void of any information. And I remember during the deposition saying to him, how did you expect that I was going to find all of the assets that I have found? And he said, I thought you would just keep doing what you're doing. You would keep subpoenaing and you would keep digging and you would keep looking and then you'll find it. And that was that became the job. But she herself was very resourceful. Mm-hmm. And it's important that as you know, as a spouse, that you look, that you keep your eyes open, that you watch what's happening around you, because you can't live essentially in a shell, right? With everything closed up. You need to keep your 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 eyes open. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the other thing is that you do need to have some stash of cash because you're going to need to be able to hire that lawyer. And it does take time to get that hearing to get to that first hearing. A hundred percent. You talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So look, some people have um, situations where they're able to turn to family or friends for that first retainer. And that first retainer is essentially, it's that door opening, right? So that you can start to pay an attorney to make the motions or the applications to the court in order to get you that temporary support, those temporary legal fees to get you set up essentially for the um, process that is going to occur, right? Where there'll be discovery, where there will be negotiations and where there may be things like depositions or other court appearances, et cetera. But you're right. 
you need to have that door be open. And so you either need to put aside cash and, and open a bank account so that you can over time essentially save up for your retainer, or at least be honest with friends or family and say, look, I'm going to need some help here. I might need to take a loan. I might need to sign a promissory note to you so that I can get myself on my feet again and maybe help my children as well. Because it may be that your spouse is not you know, giving you sufficient funds to pay not only for your support, but also for your children's support. Right, exactly. Getting a divorce is one thing, but divorcing a narcissist is a whole other huge hurdle because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you become public enemy number one because you're now facing a person who is seeing you as somebody that they have to take down and they want to take you down before they can, or before you can take them down, they're worried that you're going to expose them and you're taking away their source of supply. And so even if they say, oh, we want to do this collaboratively, we want to make sure that this is amicable, you don't want to necessarily believe them. I have a book out, it's a USA Today national bestseller. It's called Slay the Bully. How to Negotiate with a Narcissist and When. You're definitely going to want to check that out. You can get that at slaythebully.com. I also have free phrases for disarming narcissists, which you can check out at disarmthenarc.com as well. You know, there's just a whole unique blend here of dealing with hurdles, both legally and emotionally when you're dealing with a narcissist. So the first thing that you're going to want to make sure that you do is have a stash of cash for sure of your own. So whether it's getting some other resources to help you from family members or or friends or some other support system, or if you can start maybe pulling it together yourself in some kind of stealthy way, that would be a good thing. You're really going to want to make sure that you have, you know, at least a few months worth of your own stash of cash because you're going to need enough to live on and enough to be able to hire an attorney and enough to, um, you know, get yourself to a place until you can get to a hearing on temporary support if you are the person who's not the moneyed spouse. So yes, probably in your state, you know, you you will be able to get some sort of temporary support. I highly recommend that you talk to your attorney, but this, the laws in most states do provide that you can get some sort of temporary support if you've not been the, the typically the moneyed spouse. But it does take time to get that hearing and also get an order in place for that. So you will need some kind of stash of cash of your own. The other thing is, you know, you're going to want to figure out where it is that you want to live. And are you going to continue to live in the same house? Are you not? What are you going to want to do when that divorce is filed? Because there's going to be that period of time between when the divorce is filed and when the divorce is final. So there's that time that the the divorce is actually pending and you're going to want to figure out what you're doing during that period of time. And I definitely don't recommend that you leave your house 
until you know what you're doing. You don't give up your rights to your home if you own your home. If you own your home, you, you still have your ownership rights in your home, but you may not be able to get back into it if you want to have some sort of you know rights to be able to have it exclusively so they call you know they call that exclusive rights of use or or something like that and so if you want to file some kind of motion to have exclusive use of that home it's harder to get exclusive use back once you've already left it's not saying it's impossible it's just a little bit more of an uphill battle the other thing is if you have children you want to make sure that you have a written agreement in place with regard to uh, time sharing with regard to your children before you leave your home too. And I would make sure that it is really super specific because if it is kind of up in the air, it really, especially when you're dealing with a narcissist, can wreak havoc for you if you're now in two different homes and you have no agreement with regard to the children, it can be massively disastrous. So you really wanna make sure that before you're in separate homes, you have a pretty specific agreement. Most courts do recommend that there is an immediate, some sort of mediation or or dispute resolution, something with regard to children right away. But right away in a court system could mean months. So definitely have some sort of written agreement in place. You know, I talk about this both in my SLAY program and in my book that depending on the type of narcissist that you're dealing with, whether it's covert, grandiose, malignant, they are going to act differently in the court system, you know, the covert narcissist is going to be more likely to line up their flying monkeys and smear everybody sort of on the down low, make it look like they're all sweet and good and the good one. The, the grandiose narcissist is going to be the one that's going to be more likely to be much more aggressive out of the gate, file all those false pleadings, be the one to ignore the court orders, ignore the, the, the pleadings, ignore the, request for discovery, that sort of thing. The covert narcissist is going to be the one that wants to look all nice for the judge, that sort of thing. So if you are dealing with a grandiose narcissist, you might want to just go ahead and do subpoenas instead of trying to do requests for discovery because they're going to be the one that, you know, they're not going to give you all the discovery right away. So it's good to know what kind of narcissist you're dealing with. I do talk about that more in my slave program. So just start with the disarm the narc phrases. That would probably be a good place to start. If you are needing more support, now we get into the emotional aspect of things. You are definitely going to need that too. Line up a, a good support system for yourself. Some good friends, some good family members, trusted people, not people who are going to be you know, running back to the other side, trying to play both sides of the fence. You know, you cannot have that when you're dealing with a narcissist because that narcissist is going to play them like a fiddle and try to use them, you know, to be uh, their, their flying monkeys. You really can't have that. So 
you're, you're going to want somebody who you know you can trust to be on your side. And if you don't have that, I have a Facebook group, Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung. You can certainly join that. You will need therapy of some sort. If you don't have access to therapy, we have a sponsor on this channel, BetterHelp. You can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung and find a therapist. We receive commissions on that. It doesn't cost you any extra. We just want you to have access to resources that have been vetted and that you can trust. Um, so you will need a support system, therapists, friends, support groups, do some things that will make you better, that give you joy, breathing exercises, writing out your I am statements, joining support groups, that sort of thing, starting to set boundaries, Step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. That first boundary is going to be knowing that you are able to be respected, knowing that it's okay to look at them as if they're a toddler having a tantrum on the floor and just saying things like, I can see that you're upset. I can see that you're angry. We can continue this conversation when you're ready to be calm. You know, limiting that direct contact, that direct communication is going to be really, really helpful. One form of communication, something that you can document. Documentation is really, really going to be important too. Making sure you're keeping track of everything, emails, journaling, you know, bank statements, all of those things, your credit card statements, your um, photographs, witnesses, social media, all of those things are examples of documentation that you're going to want to start organizing. So setting boundaries, limiting direct communication, especially with their flying monkeys, is going to be really, really important. Starting to educate yourself through videos like this are going to be really important. Educating yourself around narcissism, is really important, you know, just making sure that you are um, preparing yourself properly. I would say it's like strength training, you know? Um, so you're, you're, you're preparing yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally for this and keeping yourself healthy. So making sure you're eating healthily, getting enough sleep and, you know, doing everything that you need to um, take good care of yourself because, you know, it's it's being, you know, in any sort of a divorce is one thing. I mean, I always say there's this massive divorce paradox because during the worst, most stressful time of your life, you have to make the most critical decisions of your life about all of the things that mean the most to you, your your children and your money and your business and your home and all of that. But you you put you layer on that you're di divorcing a narcissist. It's one of the most crazy, you know, disempowering things. But you can do this and you can turn this around. I've literally helped thousands of people through my slay program. And it absolutely works. And you can do this and you can navigate this process and come out stronger on the other side. They only win if you give in. Got it? They only win if you give in. And 
remember that they are way more afraid of you than you are of them. A hundred percent that is true. Just know that they are extremely difficult to deal with, but they're extremely simple to understand. And with the right framework, with the right understanding of how their psyche works, you absolutely can win every single time. So you know the old expression, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. Well, that is magnified by like a million when you're dealing with a narcissist and divorce. I've seen it many, many times. I've represented them thousands of times. I've been on the other side of them. I've seen them as opposing counsel. And I've actually had to deal with a couple of pesky, awful, horrible narcissists in my own life. And so I know exactly how the mind of a, of a narcissist works and what the psyche of a narcissist is like in the middle of a divorce. So here are a couple of the tricks that they play in divorce. Twisting everything you do or say. So every time you send them a, a text or an email or you just speak to them in person or you communicate with them in any way, or even if you hear they hear about something that you've said, they're going to twist it. They're going to take the parts that you they like. They're going to cut off other parts. They're certainly not above cutting and pasting parts of texts or emails to make it look like you said something or didn't say something. Um, they'll do whatever they can to make you look bad and them look good. Because remember, with narcissists, they have no sense of inner value. All of their value comes from the external. They need an endless amount of what we call narcissistic supply, which is where they are boosting up their ego. And supply can come in the form of good things, such as a big house or what I call positive things, a great job, um, being friends with the right people, things like that. Or it can come in the form of what I call negative things, which is causing you to feel devalued, debased, degraded, uh, making you squirm, manipulating you. They get supply from that as well. And so that's what you see happening in a divorce. Because remember, for a narcissist, you have no value. Your value when you're in a relationship with them is just what you can do for them and what kind of value you can give to their endless need for supply. So once you've shown yourself to not want to be in a relationship with them anymore, even if they're actually in the process of doing the discard, then you have no value left for them anymore. So now you're the enemy because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you can't just nicely walk your own direction and, and, and shake hands and just say, well, let's just let the law you know, dictate what's fair and we'll just sign something and be on our way and wish each other well. It doesn't work that way with narcissists. With narcissists, you're either for them or you're against them. So that's why they're going to twist everything that you do or say. The next thing that narcissists do in divorce is obstruction. So they, it's crazy because there'll be laws in every state and everywhere that you have to provide certain types of financial documents to each other and it's mandatory, it's required, and they won't provide what's mandatory. They won't provide what's 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 required. Or they might only pick and choose what they want to provide. So, you know, if they're supposed to provide 12 months of credit card statements, you'll just see them provide 
10 months worth, but suddenly July is missing or September is missing. And then you have to try to go back and try to get it. And all of this is just very frustrating. And a lot of times my clients will end up saying to me, how is he getting away with this? How is she getting away with this? Well, I something that I remind people all the time is that there are no like divorce fairies that just pop out in the middle of people's living rooms and go, hey, you're not allowed to do that. Or, hey, you're supposed to provide that document. How come you're not doing it? So they're going to get away with it until they can't get away with it anymore. And what happens is they will no longer get away with it when somebody brings it in front of the judge. Because remember, the only person who has any power to order somebody to do something is a judge. No one else or or the, the police, if you call the police because they've done something criminal. But when you're talking about civil actions, you can just push everything through the judge. So you end up filing a lot of motions and... Um, motions to compel and motions to enforce and things like that so that they produce the documents that they're supposed to produce. So that's number two trick that they play is uh, obstruction. Another thing that you'll see narcissists do is ignoring court orders. And that's kind of what I was just talking about with ignoring laws, but they also ignore court orders. And, and it's just so mind boggling sometimes because you know, what I've seen people do sometimes is early on, they'll um, come up with a parenting plan, or maybe you come up with a, an agreement that's signed that becomes a court order that says you're not supposed to introduce new significant others to the children. And, you know, lo and behold, there they are introducing their new girlfriends or new boyfriends to the children. And that's a violation of, of now a court order. And so you have to file a motion to get it enforced or ask the court to issue a show cause order as to why they shouldn't be held in contempt um, for violating that court order. But they, the, the thing with narcissists is narcissists are street fighters. They will fight dirty and they'll do as much as they possibly can that they think that they can get away with. There's really no bar that's too low or, or no thing that's too far. As long as they're pretty sure that they can get away with it, or even if they're, they, they're so sometimes arrogant about it or, or so distorted in their thinking that they think that they'll get away with things, even if they don't necessarily end up getting away with things. Another thing you see narcissists do is constantly move the goalposts when you're talking about agreements. And what I mean by this is, and, and listen to me when I tell you this, do not send letters back and forth between your lawyers trying to settle the case. You'll never settle the case with a narcissist that way. And it ends up just being a waste of your time and money. Because what happens is they'll send over a proposal. And even if you agree to 100% of everything they send over, by the time you send over your agreement, they've already changed what the deal is. They'll say, okay, well, yeah, you still have to live up to everything that you just agreed that you're going to give the other person. But now they want more and they're going to and they're going to give you less of whatever it was that they were supposed to do. And it just constantly changes, constantly changes, constantly changes because they get supply out of making you squirm. So while you as the reasonable person think that you're working toward a goal of resolving the case, silly, um, their goal is to manipulate you and make you squirm as much as possible. So you actually don't even have the same goals there. 
So one of the things you will see them do is constantly move that goalpost, constantly change back and forth. Another thing I will tell you is do not use a collaborative process. Don't use a collaborative attorney. It's a waste of time when it comes to dealing with narcissists and divorce. And also don't mediate too early. You're going to need leverage before you go to mediation. And another thing that narcissists do as far as tricks and divorce is they start triangulating smear campaigns, getting all their flying monkeys lined up, the people that they're turning against you um, so that um, you know you feel like the world is against you and everybody's believing their lies. So um, that's another thing that they do. Um, and one other thing that they do is intimidation tactics, scare tactics, try to make you think that you're going to lose your kids or you're going to have no money or be out on the street or that they're going to take everything from you. Uh, they're going to use the court system as their sword. Uh, they'll use the children as pawns, things like that. I mean, as I said, you know, there's really no bar that's too low. They'll do whatever they can to scare the crap out of you. Okay, so here's what to do to be prepared. Document, document, document. I cannot say it enough. In your documentation, you will end up finding your leverage, I promise. Leverage isn't necessarily always this smoking gun. It is usually made up of many different things, such as lots and lots of text messages or figuring out when they didn't show up for the kids and how often and what are the percentages and you know, building um, a strategy around what kinds of leverage you have. So that's all actually part of my SLAY program for those of you who are, um, are familiar with my program, which is SLAY your negotiation with a narcissist. And SLAY actually stands for having a super strong strategy, having uh, invincible leverage, anticipate what the narcissist is going to do and be two steps ahead of them and focusing on you and your case. And so you've got to have this slay method together. But the first part of use, getting that method together is definitely documenting every single thing. You can just have the notes part of your phone open, just assuming that you've changed your passwords and all of that, um, and just keeping track of absolutely everything. The next thing you can do, I just alluded to, is change your passwords on everything, including all your cloud devices, anywhere you have a login, make sure you change those passwords. The next thing that you can do to be prepared if you haven't filed for divorce yet is have a stash of cash available, especially if you are the non-moneyed spouse. If it's possible for you to have at least three months worth of cash until you can get to a temporary relief hearing and you know, nowadays, right, it's the courts are a little bit crazy and they're super backed up. So, you know, who knows when you'll even be able to get a hearing. So you want to have at least a few months worth of living expenses, both to live on and also to be able to hire a lawyer. So the next thing you're going to want to do is figure out a plan. Where are you going to be living? Are you going to stay in the house? Is the other person going to stay in the house? Or are you going to stay there together? If you're going to move out, where are you going to go? How are your expenses going to be paid? If you decide to move out, make sure that you're thinking about a parenting plan if you have children. You want to think about all these things ahead of time. One of my clients who actually left a narcissistic husband too early 
said that she ended up having to go back. And then he punished her and made it worse. And it was so much worse for the next couple of years. So the next time she left him, she got all her ducks in a row and she knew exactly how she was going to execute it down to the letter. She actually even packed the suitcase and walked out the door while he was sleeping in the middle of the night. And she knew exactly what hotel she was going to. She had directed us exactly what time and where to serve him. She knew she was going to be away for at least two weeks after he was served. Then she went and stayed with her mother. She had it all planned out ahead of time. And by the way, she had hired me ahead of time. So that's something else that you should be thinking about is hiring a lawyer and getting the right lawyer, somebody who understands narcissism, who's going to be on your side, who's you're going to feel like you have a rapport with, and who's going to go on the offensive for you because the nicey-nice method when you're dealing with a narcissist doesn't fly. They just see it as weakness and use it as an opportunity to make things worse for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring, and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.